sana, sana, colita de rana. You're listening to Sana Sana Podcast, a queer feminist podcast that promotes healing and normalizes mental health with Adriana and Adriana. Welcome to episode 15. Share your thoughts using the hashtag Sana Sana. Welcome to Sana Sana Podcast. We are so happy that we are now available through iTunes and Google Podcasts. So if you're a first time listener, welcome. Welcome, Ranita. If this is not your first time listening and you've been following us on SoundCloud, Thank you for your support and welcome back. Yay. We love you. Yes. Oh my gosh, it feels so good to be recording. Hi, Tokaya. Hello. So today is June 8th, 2019. And we are having one of those episodes where we just decided to turn the mic on and we're going to talk. Just just chit chat, have Mm -hmm. Tokaya time. And that'll be the extent of the show, mostly because it's been a while since we've gotten together to record and we know we're long overdue. Yeah. And that was not on purpose. It's just something that Mm -hmm. happens. And because the podcast is a real reflection of our lives, we don't want to force anything or, um, yeah, basically force anything. So we're happy to be here. Happy to um, have this conversation with you and with all of our listeners. Yes. And also, so as we got together and we're chit-chatting, we're like, hey, it's June, it's Pride Month, and... We realize we, even though this is a queer podcast, we've never really had the conversation about our own queer journeys and how it relates mm-hmm. to our mental health and to our healing. So we're doing that today. Yes, today we are figuring out who is the queerest of them all. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> JK. Um, no, but it's yeah. It's not a competition. <laughs> Everybody wins. That's the best part about yes, it. <laughs> exactly. Love actually wins. Yes. Oh, God. Stop it. <laughs> um, so basically, we're just going to have a conversation around, you know, Pride Month, about what it means to be queer to us, and... Um, talking about how we came out, if we came out, if we celebrate pride, how it affects our mental health, and how our healing around this um, has shaped. So really excited to to talk about this. And I'm going to toss it over to you, Tokaya. Okay. So you can tell us a little bit more about your coming out story, if you had one, um, what that looks like, um, how your family reacted or supported you or didn't um i'm really excited to have this conversation with you awesome well my coming out story is continuing right so i have come out to certain people in my family i haven't come out to every but everyone um and that's not something that's been um necessarily like on purpose um but let me back up before I get too ahead of myself. So, um, as I've talked about a lot on this podcast, I am the older one of the two Adrianas. I'm 39 years old. True. Capricorn, for those who may not know. And I really only fully embraced and reclaimed and remembered and um, resonated with my queerness in recovery. And the reason I say reclaimed is because I am starting to really believe that recovery is really just about remembering who we've mm. always been. So it's like a reclaiming of who I've always been. I love that. Yeah. It's it's like, even if it's who I'm becoming, right? It's like, 
I believe that my higher self, my higher power, um, brought me to this earth for a mission. And so that mission was established before I was born. Mm. And so when we're born, we forget so much. And so every day as, you know, I remember my true self, I recover that that real person, that real Adriana. And so like with so many things in recovery, for me, my queer my queerness was something that I had to really work hard at remembering. Mm. Uh, it's like, um, I look at it like polishing, you know, an old mirror. It's like you, you take that, you know, polish and you, you shine it and you shine it and you start to see more and more of who is being reflected back at you. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Love so, that. so for me, um, if I think about it, I think, uh, especially, I've been doing a lot of reflecting, thinking about, okay, what were my earliest memories of, like, thinking or knowing that I was attracted sexually to people that were not men? Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm, I identify as a woman. Um, I'm a cis woman. So, you know, I I remember looking at my brother's, like, um, they weren't Playboys. They were like penthouses. <laughs> he had like the hardcore porn magazines. He would hide them oh. under his bathroom. My brother had his own bathroom. It was like, you know, on a certain part of the house. So I would um, use the bathroom. And then one day I accidentally discovered his magazines. And I remember just like feeling so like. Like, I remember just, like, being so shaky when I saw them. And so, like, I never necessarily equated that with, like, me being attracted to the women on that page. It was just, like, oh, more of, like, oh, my gosh, I'm seeing... What is this? Sex for the first time. <laughs> but this was, you know, I was a little older. I was, like, maybe between, like, 12... Okay. 12 and 14. So, like, I knew what sex was. But I think, you know, I really resonated a lot with my older brother when I was... um in my like middle school and high school years like I loved my brother and so I really looked up to him and I think hearing him talk about girls it just it felt cool like for me to be able to have insight into that and so I wonder sometimes about like if for me those were the seeds that were being planted around like my own appreciation and love Mm. and attraction for women not saying that he did that but that like I could start to like resonate with it right right Um, And then, you know, throughout my life, I think I definitely um, saw and felt, like, attraction for some women, but never really felt, like, the compulsion to act on it. Um, You know, I was raised in a very traditional Mm. Mexican household. I was raised to believe that... um, even just sex uh, between an, a man and a woman w- was wrong if it wasn't in a, like a <laughs> marital a baby. Yeah, it was like um, within a marital context. So like even sneaking away to go have sex with like my boyfriend f- felt wrong or, mm-hmm. you know. So already there was so much like shame placed on sex in general that there was a lot that I repressed um, like I didn't even, I actually had sex before I masturbated. 
Wow. <laughs> so I actually did not masturbate until I was like in my 20s. That's very normal. Like not normal or whatever. I don't want to use that word, but common. very common um, from like folks that I've talked to. Yeah. And so as someone too uh, that is an adult child of dysfunction, like of a dysfunctional family, um, I also am understanding and realizing like I stuffed a lot of feelings. I froze a lot of feelings. Mm-hmm. So it could very well be that I've always had an attraction that I, you know, have like that I now recognize and acknowledge and can see so clearly uh, for people that aren't men. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was like I, I like that. Like let's say there's doors. Th- all those doors were closed, so I wasn't really allowing the light to shine in those door, like in those closets. I guess right. <laughs> we're gonna use the the usual analogies but um i would say in my 20s as i like went through the journey of like just you know learning about who i was you know i moved away from home when i was a month out of high school so at 18 i left home and that's when i started to be able to like experiment and dabble in different things unfortunately some of those things were drugs and alcohol um, but, you know, I also had like a lot of different friendships. I was able and had a lot of opportunities to work different jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to travel, uh, live in different places. So I started to, you know, experiment with like what I liked and didn't like. And I think I knew then, too, that I was like, OK, I could always see myself like sleeping with like I think it was like certain people, certain women mostly. But never again acted on it. Ooh, can you expand on that? Yeah. What certain women? Well, I think maybe it was like what I conventionally thought was beautiful at the time. Okay. So I've always been attracted to feminine women. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're going based off of like just looks. Yes, we right? are. <laughs> right now. <laughs> well, no, because now I'm like, now for me, I definitely um, know for me, sexual attraction is very much based in like... Um, personal chemistry or like um like charisma is really big for me so like i have been attracted and dated men in my life that weren't conventionally handsome maybe to you know like i I hate using those (laughs) terms but like what you know mainstream would consider handsome in terms of like fit and tall and stuff like that i've definitely dated like Mm -hmm. all sorts of different types of men and it's usually because i'm attracted to their charisma or their like uh like just like their personality Personality. or the way they are and i definitely see that like i i if i have a connection with someone i can see myself being able to have a physical attraction for them for sure that grows on me gotcha so um but if we're going just off of like animalistic urges, we actually are right, just for right now. <laughs> um, I tend to be attracted to like like very masculine and very feminine. Gotcha. People. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but now I'm like, it's cool. Anyways, because I'm like, I the more I learn about myself, then I start to be like, no, but androgynous is actually really sexy too. So there's all sorts of people I'm attracted to. But like back then, mm-hmm. right okay, back so. in my twenties, I would say like I would see like a beautiful woman and be like, ooh, just like the thought would cross my mind. She's or I was always like very like intrigued about the idea of like threesomes. Gotcha. Um, 
But again, this was always like more of a like sexual fantasy and not something that I would necessarily like take seriously. Gotcha. And as I, you know, came to understand in recovery, a lot of that, like not even allowing myself to really entertain the idea of like having sex with, sure, but like even dating Mm -hmm. a woman. That for me, I realized and learned was internalized homophobia. Oh, absolutely. Because I, I was very, I got to a point where I was very comfortable in being like, yeah, absolutely, I could absolutely see myself having sex with a woman, but I just, I'm not interested in dating women. Mm-hmm. Which now when I say that, like, I have a lot of shame. It's like very embarrassing to think, you know, that I had, there was a time in my life that I believed that. Right. Very common, right? Because that's where a little bit of like the fetishizing of yes. like, you know, having sex or you using, and not that you were, but just like, oh, using yeah. women, mm-hmm. but never seeing it as a real possibility or as a real just yes. relationship. Um, you know, that comes from the patriarchy. So thanks, patriarchy. Yep. So not just internalized homophobia, internalized misogyny. Mm-hmm. You're absolutely right. Yes. So I definitely see and know that about me now. Um, I think when I got into recovery, Um, I've talked about this before in other episodes. I hit the reset button on dating as well because there was a lot of patterns and behaviors um, that I kept repeating when I was dating or in intimate relationships with people that I came to understand were very dysfunctional and very unhealthy, very toxic. So when I first got into recovery, it was like really this understanding that I was rebuilding myself. Um, And so I made a commitment to myself to not date anyone for at least a year. Um, And that meant like, because I remember I had a friend be like, what if you meet someone though? They're like, what if you just like, not you're not looking, but you happen to meet them? Um, I was like, well, then that means that I will have to like meet like, meet up with them in a year you know like i had made that commitment like and you kept it and everything oh i kept it not only i was really freaked out about it because i realized i was actually addicted as much to this idea of like dating and like feeling that attention yeah um that came along with it i was as as addicted to that as i was to like drinking and other Yep. other things other addictions so mm-hmm. i was really afraid i was like oh my gosh i'm gonna be so old by the time this year oh my <laughs> like whatever <laughs> but you this, these are really irrational things that go through your mind at least they went through my mind so um i was like okay so um decided to do that the year came and went and i was like god i'm not even ready yet mm-hmm. so like it was almost two years before i actually opened up the door to start slowly dating again and dating by then was a totally different thing but the beautiful thing about that time was that i was really able to reflect and be more open and honest about my queerness Mm -hmm. and about what had always been there um and not just that but also everything that came with it it it's not just about sexual attraction it's not just about physical attraction it's not just about romantic chemistry and romantic attraction i really started to understand that for me my queerness is also about my politic and about like how i 
believe and don't believe you know like my beliefs around gender norms Uh and um you know how i i think about relationships in general so i was like oh yeah i'm queer as fuck (laughs) (laughs) you know and it was it was such an amazing time in my life and it's still i'm in that right now because it's like everything that i thought was true about myself everything that i thought i was attracted to everything that i thought i believed was being turned around and flipped on its head and that's where i'm at right now like i get to really um inspect and think carefully about my beliefs all of my beliefs are they really what i believe or is it just something that i was told to believe Uh and never questioned right so it's exciting yeah um so when i realized that this was true for me like with so many things that that are true for me i wasn't able to go back right so um once I was claim, once I claimed um, the queer identity for myself, I, you know, started to identify that way with my friends. With, um, at work it was really easy. I'm like, part of it is like, bitch, I'm queer. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's also like I um, got a job a year and a half ago, so by then I had already done a little bit of that work. So mm-hmm. I just, you know, showed up and I'm queer. I mean. At work, I get to be myself completely. So people know I'm in recovery. People know I'm a huge advocate for mental health. Um, people know I'm a huge advocate for consent, enthusiastic consent. So all of the things I'm passionate about that I talk about on this podcast, mm-hmm. I get to do that at work, too. So it's it's pretty amazing. Um, but I guess the hardest part was with my family. And part of that wasn't because I was, like, afraid. Because I'm also, you know, like, I'm a grown woman and I've been on my own for 20, 20 years now? Yeah, 20 years. Snap. Um, and I, I live very far geographically away from my family. It wasn't that I was afraid to have that conversation with them. It's more that I don't have that intimacy with them. Mm-hmm that it would come up naturally in conversation or like it would it would have to be this like okay i have something to tell you and i never felt like um coming out should be a confession so to speak right mm-hmm, like i don't mm-hmm. i don't think that that's the thing so i always knew that when the opportunity presented itself i would talk about that so with my mom <laughs> when i came out i think she was the one that i knew like if i was going to do it and it was going to mean something within my family she was the one that needed to know in terms of like it matter like like i knew sh- she would have an opinion about it mm-hmm. and so like that would be the hardest person that would be the hardest conversation to have and so it actually s- started out it wasn't very intentional and that is what i regret but I don't regret telling her so what ended up happening was we were having a conversation about someone else in my family and my mom was I don't want to get into the specifics because I don't want to break that person's like anonymity but my mom was insinuating that someone in my family is queer and that um, she'd never come out to anyone even herself because she didn't have the support of her family Uh. and I was like well you wouldn't do that right mom Mm. so I was basically like calling her out and she was like, you know, she she said her little spiel, 
and I was like, this is where this is actually pretty embarrassing because I didn't have the language. I, I, all of my conversations with my mom are in Spanish. So I was like, pues yo soy gay. <laughs> and then she's like, you're a man? <laughs> no, she's like, tú eres gay? And I was like, pues soy mitad gay. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to say soy bisexual. Mm-hmm. Right? So, or even, I mean, if I, how I really identify, I'm bisexual, I'm pansexual. But I mostly say queer just mm-hmm. because it's like the, the easiest for me. It, it To me, queer queer really embodies the politic behind it too, mm-hmm. right? Um, <laughs> I just I just was like, this is the best way I could like, you know, talk about it. Perfect timing. Right. But she, she just like froze. Oh my gosh. And then she didn't say anything for a moment and then she was like well she she pray no my mom my mom's not that i mean she's 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 not religious she's spiritual okay um she expects us to be catholic but she's not necessarily practicing catholic it's very strange oh man it's very strange but no she didn't pray but what she said was well i could never do that Mm. and i said it's okay you don't have to it's not about you and she didn't say anything and she left it alone like she changed the subject and then i was like okay she didn't i mean she wasn't great she was kind of shitty about it but it wasn't like something super violent Uh uh but it wasn't until later that weekend that she started throwing these little like indirect like insults at me or so she thought they were insults i didn't think i thought they were kind of funny and cool she was like she compared me to chave la (laughs) barca And I was like, well, I wish. I, I was like, thank you. I think she's a bomb, and she was an she's an icon, yeah, and she is. was this amazing, brave person. But yeah, she 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 didn't not embrace it. She did, and she was very uncomfortable with it. And we never spoke about it again. And I mean, I'm I'm currently not speaking with my mom. I haven't spoken with her for um almost a year now Mm. but and it's not for that reason but it didn't help let's just say (laughs) but i mean i was fine with it i think what it made me realize was like wow this is possibly why this is possibly one of the many reasons why even if you had wanted to come out sooner you may not have because you never felt safe you know um because i know by the time i told my mom i had been doing a lot of work on being able to parent myself and know that like i didn't need my family's approval to know i'm a good person i before that though i didn't know how not to want that Mm -hmm. i i thought i had to be a good daughter above everything including my own well-being and so part of that was like not making my mom suffer so to speak so right and i knew she had basically said these kinds of things in so many words she has said like she doesn't want to hear things that would bring her sorrow Mm -hmm. right like and that really she has said that many times so in my mind anything that i knew would make her upset i didn't tell her and so like more and more she knew less and less and less about me so this is just one of the many things that i was too afraid to talk about you know um until recovery 
recovery really helped me understand that like it's okay if she's uncomfortable like i'm owning my truth no one should deny me my truth i think it's such a gift and correct me if i'm wrong but this is just my perspective to have come out and i'm quoting that in a time where you had recovery and you had a support system to make you feel like even if you were rejected or if your parents were not okay with it or if they just switched the subject you're still strong enough Mm -hmm. to be able to carry yourself and to know that that is not a reflection on what you just said or on who you are um and i just i can see that and i think that it's it's just amazing that you were able to do that for yourself right because no one does it for you like that's a choice and the fact that you were able to kind of lift that up through the recovery is just is is awesome yeah it also thank you Tokaya. it means a lot to me to hear you say that and i think it Mm -hmm. also just helps me reflect on the courage that young people who do come out despite their family's support or approval it just made me feel it so much more right like I had a lot of compassion and love for little Adriana, you know, Mm. and I was like, okay, I understand why maybe it took you this long. Um, But it also just made me have such a an overwhelming um, admiration. And that's such a like small word, Mm -hmm. but such a like like an overwhelming feeling for young people who have the language and the sense of their identity so strongly so early like i consider them very lucky that they know who they are so early and not only that the courage that they have to be able to say this is who i am and i'm gonna be me no matter what comes Uh of it and that could be very dangerous for a lot of young folks you know as we know even now even now as we know so it just helped me see all of that and hold all of that and the beautiful thing about it is thanks to my recovery i've been rebuilding the relationship i have with my sister my older sister and when i told her she was just like so supportive Mm. Mm -hmm. that's awesome yeah she was like i don't care what i i think in her own words she was basically telling me you know she's like it doesn't matter who you love. She's so cute. She was oh. like quoting all the like corporate <laughs> love is love. And I'm like, I love you. Sis. All the bumper stickers. Yes, it was shit. very sweet. And so I do have support from some of my family. I haven't told my father just because I'm also not, I'm a little, I'm estranged from my, both my parents mm-hmm. right now. So it hasn't come up, but I see myself being absolutely able to have that conversation um you know when the time is right if we you know we're ever in conversation again and then my my brothers one of my brothers um i also am estranged from the oldest one but my youngest one we've never talked about it only because we just don't talk about our lives like that so i would like to share with him someday and i think it would be a good like um it would be something good for me to model in terms of vulnerability, sharing mm. that. I feel like that's a, actually a safe subject I could share with him where I could be like, hey, I'm, I want to be vulnerable with you. But that's something that we we need practice at. He and I have no vulnerability with each other. And so that's partially why I've never had that conversation with him. And it's also just really difficult because geographically yeah. we don't 
get to spend a lot of time together one-on-one and I feel like that is a conversation that I want to you know have it be organic right it's not like it's the first thing that you're gonna do get off the plane and be like hey I'm queer right for me like I said coming out is gonna be a forever thing Mm -hmm. um I come out all the time in different ways to different people um I have to be intentional about it because um as someone who also presents very well, it depends on the day. I could it very femme, right? It depends on the haircut. Yes. Well, not even that. I think if I'm wearing... I think even when yeah. I'm, like, trying to not be femme, I just somehow exude femme vibes, right? And I, I love that. Femme I, magic. Yeah. I, I'm very much about um, celebrating my, my femness. Mm-hmm. But... Um, I I understand that that is also somewhat of a privilege. Uh, they they call it passing privilege, mm-hmm. right? So uh, I have to be really intentional about letting people know that I'm queer um, because I'm proud of it today. And yeah, so that's my coming out experience. It's a it's a forever thing. It will always be a forever thing. But I'm just so happy to be in a place where it is a huge part of who I am and. Um, it's also just really exciting because <laughs> as a baby queer, right? <laughs> I don't know how long, how long do I get to be a baby? As long as you want. Okay. You, if, I mean, so I'm a baby. <laughs> <laughs> as a baby queer, it's, it's so exciting to be able to flip everything on its head, you know? Um, and because it's just such a new time in my life, not just yeah. in context of queerness, but dating looks completely different than it did three years ago not just because i date other people now but because of the way i look at it now through a healthier lens mm-hmm. so i'm ready to pass it over to you oh well, thank i saw you. how quick you were to throw me the first question so. i was that was on purpose <laughs> Because so, I wanted to hear. Yeah, no, I love it. Thank you for, for asking it. Yeah, thank so, you for sharing. I'm very intrigued to hear how it's been for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you had an official coming out story. Party. Did you have a, like, we were talking about this off <laughs> off I microphone. Wish, no. I was like, well, I think we, if it isn't already a thing. We should do a coming, coming out, out should be like a bar mitzvah or a quinceanera or a cotillion. Like, I agree. It's like being presented to the world. In a different way. Yeah. (laughs) So I feel like, no, I did not have a coming out party, but that's in the works, hopefully. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, similar to you, I was also raised in a very, you know, traditional, you know, Latino Catholic family. And so um, living in Ecuador and growing up in Ecuador, queerness and being gay was not normal. It was not okay, And it was not visible at all. I feel like um, it was just, you know, negative connotations all around and like you, anything around sexuality um, was very hidden and hush hush and just very shameful. And so I don't know if that had anything to do and it might have. Right. Because that's the way I was socialized to think that these um, things around like sex, sexuality, gender were never questioned. And so mm-hmm. I just never really thought about it. Um, so I think until the age of like, I would say 17, I was pretty sheltered and it wasn't, yeah, it, I, I wasn't really like into 
dating or into boys. Um, I was just like really into drinking, I guess. So maybe that was just like shutting everything else down. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was just, you know, having fun with friends, whatever. And then never really thinking about if I was gay or not. I don't even think that that was part of, you know, my vocabulary or even anything that I would think about. And so then I moved to the U.S. and I was um, working you know, and going to school full time. And I met someone um, at my place of employment. And so we developed like a really close friendship. And it was, um, you know, the first like American friend that I had. And so being, you know, you know, the culture here, like she was very much open to like just different things, right? Talking about sex, talking about sexuality, talking about gender. And so it was, it just became part of like really being politicized in this way. And Mm. so um, we were just like spending a lot of time together and we were like, I considered her my best friend and um, a relationship developed from that. And I never really thought of it as being, oh, now I'm gay or, oh, now I'm queer. I just thought, oh, this is really interesting what's what's happening here. And this relationship, I guess, is just developing in, in a different way. And so, of course, all of this was hidden from my family um, because it was never a conversation that was had. And because it happened so organically, I never had the opportunity to figure out, like, oh, is this where where I should come out like is this the time where I should like have my coming out party and so you know. I, sorry just to clarify so this person was your best friend but then it organically naturally yes. veered into more of a romantic right and so I think you know maybe we held hands as friends I mean I know that like we had sleepovers but nothing like sexual or even slightly romantic happened there was just more of that like best friend intimacy right like mm-hmm. maybe a little cuddling um even less I would I would say right yeah. because it was just like a friendship right and um so like I was saying it developed and then we were you know having like a real like romantic relationship thereafter which was still like hidden And at the same time, I, from comments from my family members, i.e. like my sisters more than anyone, I could, I could tell at that point that they kind of knew or that they had questions around it, but at no point did they ever approach me. At no point were they supportive. At no point did I feel comfortable coming to them with any, with anything really. And I also didn't feel very like scared it was just like it was literally happening and i was just going with it right you're just living your life (laughs) exactly um and being present which is like not normal for me because i'm never present or just able to like not overthink shit but this is what i remember of that time so maybe you know maybe i was um but in any case i just um so this kept happening like me and this other person were together for like maybe two years at this point like I feel like within the year then is like it developed into like a real relationship and then after that I think we were together for another year still like on the DL to, and then um, basically at some point like she had come out quotes because I feel like she was just very like liberal in the way or progressive that for to her family it really didn't matter and so to her family we were like 
a couple, we were out, I was spending a lot of time with her family, like extended family, grandma, aunts, they all knew, but not my family. And so that really did create like attention. And then I could see what the other side looked like, right? Mm. What support looked like, mm-hmm. what just normalcy looked like around like having a relationship. And and this was my first like real romantic relationship. Mm. And so that kind of added a layer of like, oh shit, like I don't know what I'm doing. And so a lot of my anxiety, like rose from that from that place of like at this point really living in secrecy from like my friends back in Ecuador definitely my family here and just like myself because I didn't really identify as anything other than with her world right because she had friends that I befriended and they were all you know very progressive and just like open whatever and so I was living a double life almost and so a lot of just a lot of of, of my mental health really was um, suffering at that point. Mm. And so um, the way that I came out, because, you know, we knew it had to happen. Like, we were spending so much time together. Again, like, no one ever asked. And so I just sent a text message. I sent a mass text message. I love you so much. <laughs> like a millennial You're would. A millennial, <laughs> um, There's no wrong way. No, hell no. Um, there, that's the, the thing, right? There aren't there's not a roadmap for this no not at all and I just never felt comfortable approaching my sisters in a one-on-one conversation because they never um created the space for that to happen Mm -hmm. and maybe I could have been a little bit more proactive but not really like I just you're the baby yeah Yeah, you're the baby of the family I didn't feel safe so the only way I felt safe and the only way that I felt like I could really like own who I was I was or or was or was becoming was to just like send them a text message. <laughs> and so I did, I send a ma- max text message, mass text message, just like letting them know that me and this other person are in a relationship. I didn't even say, hey, I'm queer, hey, I'm gay. I just said, this person who happens to be a woman and I are in a relationship and that's that's it. And so after that, I mean, two of my sisters never really said anything. Um, one sister, I don't remember her response, probably not anything too welcoming. And then the only person that was very supportive was my brother-in-law. And he said that he was really proud of me and just happy that I was able to, to express, you know, who I was. And, and that really made a difference. But it was a shame that not even being my blood relative, that was who came out. And, and just even with those words, was able to support me in what I was going through. And it was, it it felt amazing. It was really great. And so the other support that I had was the new friends that I had made, which again, you know, they were already kind of growing up in this world and in this culture where gayness and queerness was out in the open. And they were all like, I feel like, consider themselves queer and experimenting and poly and all this shit. And so it was, it was a gift to be able to like really in that sense grow up and come into my own with people that surround me that are so open and so free about sexuality and gender and um it was it was a huge support system where i thought where i never expected it um so that was really amazing and then after that i got really into women's studies and like studying this from a like academic standpoint. And that really, really helped me um, also like be very comfortable with my identity, be very comfortable with um, 
understanding internalized homophobia, understanding my homophobic family, um, and um, not trying to hold any grudges or not really, or just kind of under putting myself in their shoes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, now obviously like things are a little bit different, you know, fast forward, so that's 17. So that's, no, I would say like 17, 18, maybe 19. So fast forward 10 years to where we're at now. I mean, my family and siblings could not be more different. I mean, <laughs> they're all like pro-abortion and pro-gay and queer. And I laugh to myself sometimes because I'm like, bitch, like you were not like this when I needed you to be that way. But I'm thankful that and think that me being the person who like introduced them to like just differences have made them better people. And now maybe like my nephew doesn't have these problems or he can, you know, come out or like just other family members that can feel more comfortable talking about whatever they want to talk about and whoever they are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I am just really happy that they're, they have been able to evolve and that they're like um, just more politicized and just understand differences and that they're able to really understand and who I am. And now like there's not really any any secrets if you will or any type of like shame around it and it's just really great to to feel their support um but it's just really interesting to to see how how they've changed and where they are now and I'm I'm really proud of them because it's not it's not easy like even my mom and my dad like they're totally cool with it they've both met my current partner and like love her and they're just really funny about it and it's just um it's just proof that people can change Mm -hmm. And often it is because it's someone who's like really close to you that is different. But I'm, yeah, super proud of, of all of them and hope that they can continue to evolve and and just um, be supportive of one another. Because if it's not this, it could be something else. And so just um, kind of taking a step back and looking at that, it makes me really, really happy. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. When it's like you were the catalyst to their change, you know, Um I mean, it makes me a little sad because even when we talk about women's issues too, right? Like men love to talk about, I have a daughter, I have a wife. And so these issues are really important Mm -hmm. to me. It makes me sad that it has to be that we choose to be better people um, by proxy, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, it's because I know this person. It's like, you can't just be a good person to be a good person. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, you're totally right. So, um, all that said, though, I resonate a lot with what you're sharing around change. And sometimes the people that we love aren't ready to be there for us, mm-hmm. right? And I think about times maybe I haven't been uh, a good listener or like someone who supported someone who needed me mm-hmm. because I. I was so not you know spiritually sick is the best way I could put Uh it like I think about the recovery and the healing and the intentional change that I've taken on and I know I've made a lot of mistakes and I'm going to continue to make mistakes Uh that's part of the human experience and the human condition I think the difference is that today my self-awareness I continue to fine-tune it right and so like every day I reflect on 
how my day went and do I owe someone an apology um and that helps me kind of quickly get to where I need to get if I'm not there yet and so it really helps me have more compassion for my my mom and my dad and you know anyone who is not there yet um who's addressed their own internalized homophobia because I had I had it I still have it right yeah we all still still have it and it's it's like a lifetime of unlearning Mm -hmm. and um, I'm committed to that and so I'm grateful to be able to share my process because it I need it for my own recovery I need to continually like share where I'm at and like reflect on that but I know that I'm also so grateful to have you as a podcast partner and everyone who's listening that is committed to that same journey, right, of healing. Ultimately, we're healing uh, from all of this, you know, violence that has been put on us mm-hmm. because of white supremacy, because of the patriarchy. That has robbed all of us of our humanity. And so it's beautiful to be able to reclaim it and yeah. remember that we are divine. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Mm, I love that. Yes. So... You also reminded me, um, because you were sharing uh, about how you had this, like, supportive uh, group of friends, too, Mm -hmm. when you came out. I I realized, like, I've never come out to my friends, because it's just something that, like, I'm so grateful to have, I have friends in my life. Most of, I think like all of my friends most of if not all of my very close friendships are queer Mm -hmm. and so it was like something very natural for me to talk about my evolution like it happened in real time yeah and And it it wasn't never was like i'm not right and same to that like it was never like oh i'm gay guys it was just like (laughs) this is what's happening like and everyone was just so open-minded and so on the same page that it was never something to write home about or it was never anything that was news and that normalcy (laughs) around this topic um allowed me to survive because um in my other world right in my family and in my cultural world where all of this was completely um it was just wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, that message was still getting to me and it, it'll eat you up because you think that you're like the devil and you're made wrong and whatever, you know, whatever language you heard kind of growing up around like being sinful if you are like queer, or gay or whatever. Um, and so it was just, it was really important. Um, but yeah, fuck that. I mean, <laughs> just like it's so stupid. Yeah. Um, and even now, like I feel like culture in Ecuador is changing, and I hear it from my friends. Um, but there's still a lot of work to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still definitely a lot of work to be done, and I hope. Um, I hope it gets done. So, my my question to you, now that we're moving on to a fresh Uh-oh. question, is, um, do you? Do you talk with your therapist? Like, is your therapist queer? Do you talk about um, issues around your queer identity in therapy? Um, And if not, or if so, like how? 
Yeah. So, I mean, my therapist definitely knows that I'm queer and that I have a partner who identifies as a woman slash female. And but I mean, I've done so much work around identity and around being queer that it's not really anything that we really talk about. Um, I feel like in the past, this definitely was something that I had, I'm sure, talked about my therapist about. But now it's just, it's just, you know, part of it. Every time I do engage with a new therapist, I do ask them if they're like comfortable, you know, dealing with, um, that's a bad word, if if they're comfortable working with, you know, LGBTQA um, or queer folks. um, That's something that I I'm always um, asking because you just never know who's a kook. And so I think that for um, anyone out there that is like fielding out therapists, just like make sure you ask them that you're interviewing them when you're, you know, wanting to engage in a, you know, professional uh, situation with a therapist. So that's something that I always ask. But it's not really something that we like discuss. Um, I think that maybe if like something happens and if I feel like, it's because of my identity, like we'll discuss it, but I don't feel like I've been, I've talked to to them a lot about it. I feel like, yeah, no, a lot of people at work don't even know that I'm queer and it's just really funny because I'm also like cis and very much like girly femme. Um, But I love when I do tell them and they're like, what, (laughs) we didn't know. And it's just really, really funny to, to be coming out constantly yeah. to just new people. Yeah, um, to, the, to new folks. Exactly. Right? And just like seeing that. Um, but otherwise, it's not it's not something really that I'm discussing right now with with therapy. How about you? Um, actually, I'm going to grab coffee really quick. Okay. Before I answer. Oh, hey. Oh, Do you want a little more to go out? No. Then I will not sleep. Um so I would say so my I I'm pretty certain that my therapist is not queer. Um I've yeah. never explicitly asked her, are you queer? But I, I get the sense that she's not based on context and language. I also think my therapist is not queer. Right. And I I don't think it's it has not been a barrier. But what I will say is that I'm more and more conscientious of my healthcare providers and um their lack of understanding around around it because it's not like something that I'm struggling with, right? I'm not like coming with specific like queer uh, like queer problems uh-huh, right like uh-huh. any problem I have is related to relationship or um, you know anything that I would be having with any person interpersonal relationships right those are those are universal but where I get really I think it's just like an observation that I'm making is more around like how much of the solution or how we talk about a problem, how much of it is based in heteronormativity, mm. right? Um, or gender norms or assumptions, mm-hmm. right? And so I'm always like, I'm way more hyper aware of it at this moment in my life. So like whether that's with my therapist or with my gynecologist or with 
my general practitioner, I notice um, their understanding of queer identity. And I currently do not have any queer doctors or queer practitioners. Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm curious if I'm going gonna, gonna to reach a point where I'm going to need one. So I'll give you an example that's yeah. always like stuck with me and it's like annoys me to hell and back. But so I have HPV. Hey, welcome. Hi. Hi. Um, So glad we could connect in a different way. Yes. Um, (laughs) So I went to the gynecologist or to like my regular doctor or whatever. And, you know, HPV came up in my pap smear. And then I had to have like another, fuck, I don't remember the the name. But just when they like scrape you a little bit more. Mm -hmm. Oh, I forget. Whatever. It's like a different procedure. It hurts a lot. But in any case, you know, I, I went through all of that. Um, great, you know, it was only HPV. I'm good. Didn't screen for cancer, and so moving forward, I was like, okay, so is there any way that I can, you know, take care of myself better? Um, how do how can I, you know, live a healthier life now that I have HPV? And the bitch ass doctor was like, just make sure you use a condom. That's all you have to do. Always use a condom. That's not even accurate, but okay. Mm-hmm. Oh, I remember having this conversation yes. with you. <laughs> yes. And I was like, um, actually, I don't have sex with men, so I'm not going to use a condom. So can you give me other tips or alternatives? And she said to drink green tea. What? Uh-huh. Is that? Have to, okay, yeah. wow. And so, and it wasn't, and when I was trying to tell her about me being in a queer relationship and a relationship with the woman like it took a couple of times for her to really hear what i was saying because the first thing that i didn't say was like no penises are not involved in my like sexual relations um and she was just very resistant and like not culturally competent very like ignorant really and um it was just really obnoxious, really, and it. And I never went back to that doctor because she was so ignorant, and she just didn't meet my needs. And that's just me having HPV, right? That's not me being a trans patient. That's not right. being an intersex patient. That's not me having a really serious disease. So I just can't even imagine what folks with medical like histories that are a little bit more complicated have to deal with on like a day to day when this bitch couldn't even understand that I was having sex with a woman. Well and it's not even medically accurate information she was giving you. So it's a skin to skin uh-huh um transmitted virus. Mm-hmm. And so even if you are having sex with someone who has a penis, um the condom cannot prevent HPV from mm-hmm. being transmitted. It's, yep. And also just like, I think, I, don't get me on my tangent about how like HPV is like a cold. It's literally yep. the most common, you know, infection that someone can get. And just the amount of stigma and shame that is placed uh-huh. on it. And the onus is always on women. Absolutely. Um regardless of who they you know who they engage and she made it even worse like the doctor who was like evidence-based like she made the stigma and the shame worse for me in that situation that i just could not i did not feel supported i did not feel like she had my best interest um at all that's terrible it was it was horrible and even like with my new doctor 
um, she was like, oh, what birth control are you using? And I was like, I don't want birth control. And she's like, are you using condoms? No, thank you. You do have to. And like, so instead of just like leading the question in a different way, it's always in this like really heteronormative mm-hmm. way. And bitch, it's not like that. Like, come on, get it together yeah. and go to a conference. Yeah. And I love my new doctor. She's awesome. And, and and just the way that she engaged in the conversation was sweeter and like more supportive. But this is the first time ever that I've had that experience. Like I've yeah. gone to several doctors and they're all just really ignorant um, and kind of like in their own heteronormative lane. Yeah. Just making a lot of assumptions. About mm-hmm. all the and people. it's just it's it's really sad. Yeah. So no, and it yeah, it just highlights how much of a need there is yeah, for absolutely. queer competent, mm-hmm. queer cultural competent folks. Absolutely. Um, but going back to therapy, um, I am so grateful to work with a professional who I could talk about like mm-hmm. what it is that I need. Um, it hasn't come up like I said as a barrier in in mental health yet. Um, but it it kind of gives me a flashback to when we did the interview with Rosie, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and she talks about how like with um, her clients who are queer, how she's like, there might be a moment where I can only take them so far. Yep. Right. Um, so I think about that. Like, will there be a time where maybe I don't necessarily have to leave my therapist, but I. I get an additional therapist. (laughs) A second opinion. Yeah, you just never know. I mean, there's... No, for real. I just remember the first time I had a therapist who was uh, competent in, like, intersectional feminist... Like, intersectional feminist framework. And Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, my God. Where have you been all my life? Like, this is a totally... train everyone else? This is a totally different, like, experience than I've ever had. And, like, just, like, me not knowing what was possible. Yeah. So just something to think about. But I'm curious if anyone listening, um, if they have a therapist that they work with specific, you know, specifically for queer issues or um, gender identity, gender identity or um, who has a therapist who's queer, if that makes a difference. Let us know. Yes, please use the hashtag Sana Sana. And you can leave a comment in our Instagram our Facebook that we kind of don't take a lot of care of (laughs) or send us an email or tweet us you could tweet us yes tweet 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 (laughs) okay so last question okay I think you had one about yes so my final question especially to a baby I almost called you a baby bitch but it's (laughs) to a baby queer a baby bitch queer (laughs) (laughs) is um since it is June and it is pride here in Chicago and elsewhere I guess do you um, observe the Pride holidays? Um, why? Why not? Hmm. Um, I would love to know that. And if you have plans this year, um, whew, that's a good question. Because I, you know, how I observe it. So Pride Month is all month, right? It's all the whole entire month of June. Mm-hmm. This is the fiftieth anniversary of Stonewall, um, and so how I observe Pride is really by doing more reading. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I'm reading so much more around our history as queer folks um, and um, trying to seek out uh, queer writers of color Mm -hmm. um, and just absorbing and learning and continuing to understand 
um, our histories more, but also just like everything that's been written about identity. I think it's it's such an important thing for me. And that doesn't happen just in June, but I feel like it made a lot of sense that I do it this month for mm-hmm. some reason. I'll, I'll actually have an example. So um, the New York Times this week posted a video and it pissed me off. It took me a second to understand, like, why was I so mad? But the New York Times did a video on June 1st. Okay. And it's about, the question was, who threw the first brick at Stonewall? Was there even a brick? Our video examines the importance of this myth to the LGBTQ movement. So it talks about how, like, you should watch the video, just so that you could see for yourself. Mm -hmm. But it was basically about, like, did... You know, I I have been um, a lot of it has to do with my community and who like I interact with. But I've always been told and I understand that trans women of color have been pivotal, have been instrumental Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. why we celebrate pride in the way that we do in this day and age. Mm -hmm. Um, So this video basically kind of debunks that there ever was a brick. it talks about the important role of Marsha P. Johnson and Silvia Rivera, who are the matriarchs yep. of so much of what happened at Stonewall. But it does like lay out the timeline according to all of the historians that they had, that those two women actually didn't arrive till much later in the evening, so they couldn't have possibly thrown the first brick, that there probably wasn't even a brick. So it just basically breaks it down. It's a fine video in terms of like, they talk to a lot of people and they try to have some representation of folks of color. Mm-hmm. I think the thing that really pissed me off is that the all of the historians, right? Because the, the host had a bunch of historians and then had contemporary writers who were like synthesizing and mm-hmm. analyzing the historical events. So... The writers were folks of color, but all of the historians were white gay men. Uh. And so it was just to me already skewed. And um, they, yeah, so basically I tweeted at them. I was like, I appreciated hearing from the queer people of color in this video, but all the historians in this video are white men. If we're going to talk about history, we should start with the how and why LGBTQ plus folks are marginalized in the first place. Patriarchy, white supremacy, and colonization. Like, even the reference. So there, there was a reference in the video that Berlin was the start of the actual gay rights movement, like back in the 1800s. Mm-hmm. So like, even the reference to Berlin being the start of the movement, according to whose timeline and in what context? Western. Yep. Where are the black and indigenous historians and their understanding of the movement? So then I refer to the Washington Post, which wrote up this piece earlier in the year that um, showcases Native Americans embracing LGBT members, right? And I basically, you know, put that there and I said, this reminds us that many indigenous traditions include more than just male and female understandings of gender. Mm -hmm. And then there's a link in that article to a presentation that I went into this rabbit hole in and basically showcases um, 
the the traditions that Native Americans in North America have held for centuries and how they honor not just acknowledge but honor two-spirit people from years ago and in, in the presentation there's pictures of like well revered and regarded two-spirit people from like all the way back to 1850 yep um and they were honored by their people as social workers mediators doctors holy people um and then i found another article that is like different historical historical periods where homosexuality wasn't just accepted it was celebrated and i'm talking about like all across the globe right like egypt Mm -hmm. greece right so i'm like okay i never want to forget the lgbtq history is vast and expansive um and then there's another article about like um queerness in africa right so colonization just there's so much history that's been erased or not written or destroyed that probably could also pinpoint starts to the movement. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it was just like, I knew that there were a million links that I could probably link to. This was just a quick internet search. So it just made me really angry at the New York Times. I'm like, sorry, that's just not good enough. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it's important for me, right? For, for me to really take this month to be intentional about the learn the learning I still have to do and understand. Um, I'm a sober person, so as much as like... yeah, Pride does not welcome... No. In Chicago, it does not welcome sobriety right and i mean i've I've actually gone to the parades before uh, like being full-fledged out uh in like support and it just it was fun but i i even can acknowledge that i wasn't there in commemoration of like the historical events mm-hmm. right like it really upsets me that the police is such a big part of pride whether it's because they're on security detail or if they're marching Uh (laughs) like or they have a float or whatever like that just doesn't sit well with me um i've always been interested in wanting to participate or at least go and attend dyke march oh you can come with me yeah i usually go to dyke i've never done it though and some of it is just like again like i don't love crowds um and I, i i don't have like like a what do you call it um I'm, like, not diagnosed with anxiety or anything like that, Uh but I always am mindful about, like, um, folks who have a disability, like, how do they get to participate in demonstrations, right? I always am thinking about it as I'm also doing a lot Uh of learning and unlearning around ableism. So, I don't know. I just have all those thoughts going on in my head. I I celebrate pride and just acknowledging it. Um, I do a lot of it on social media because that's where I have a lot of conversations, so um, I'm just trying to leverage and lift up voices that don't get heard very often. Um, I do that through my own personal social media, but I'm also a social media manager of an organization that centers queer folks of color, um, young people especially, though. I mean, that's who, who our organization serves, our young people. So, I mean, I, I do it in my own way, mm-hmm. right? Um, I'm... Yeah, that's how I'm celebrating. Awesome. Talking about it. Thank you for sharing that. Yes, how about you? Um, So as of now, I have no plans. Um, I feel like I've definitely gone to different pride parades, even in Florida. 
I went to one and they were so tiny, um, but it was cute. I went there volunteering with like Planned Parenthood way back when. And then when I moved here to Chicago, I was 100% surprised. And I used to live um, close to Boys Town. I was like, it was like mind blowing um, what pride here looks like. And, um, you know, it centers white men, uh, white gay men um, still. And they've, you know, tried to, change things and include other folks but at the end of the day like it's a sponsored event by corporations and capitalism and it's like you're saying it doesn't get to to why we celebrate this Mm -hmm. and um that doesn't mean that i don't participate in it i've i've participated in it many times and gone out with friends and like celebrated with drinks etc and that's fun and all, but most recently, I've um, decided to join Dyke March um, versus um, kind of like the Boys Town Pride um, because it's just more about queer pride, mm-hmm. um, and the organizers are super mindful about like being intersectional, being accessible to folks with a dis- disability. It's a family-friendly event. Um, so usually they have a march and then they end up at a park. Last year it was in La Villita. I think this year they're doing it again in La Villita. And so it's just like really fun. They mm-hmm. call like, put a call out to organizations um, that are doing just different social work and they have tables. Um, so I did that with the organization that I used to work with before. And so it's just, it's a completely different feel. And um, it's more about community, really, other than mm-hmm. like about getting wasted and like doing blow on the street, which is what I've seen in Boys Town. Yeah, no, no shade, no shade. No. I was probably the one there, but I'm just saying, like, it's they're just very two different um, feels to the event. And mostly, what I do during Pride is just try to like, and I hate to say educate people, but just try to like lift my voice as to like what I think is problematic and um, the erasure of certain folks and just kind of lift that up and and just start a conversation so that maybe that folks that don't know, like I didn't know, because I just wasn't born knowing all this information, um, can be, you know, a little bit more informed and we can have a dialogue around it. So I think it's really important to kind of give credit where credit is due. Yes. Um, So I'll probably go because my sister lives right there and like she loves to go out and and take a look and I love spending time with her and we have a great time. And and to me, to be able to celebrate Pride with her is really meaningful and important. And so if it has to be in, you know, Boys Town and with all um, that's going on there, then I'm I'm glad to do it. So I might go up there with her and if not, like just hang out. Yeah, and I'll, I'll get back to you on Dyke March. Yeah, for sure. I'm really glad that you talked about capitalism, though, and how it's in, in relation to some of the specific parades, right? So I also wanted to share one of the accounts that I follow and learn so much from um, is by Erica Hart, pronoun she, they. Uh, they are a sex educator. Uh, they're amazing. If you don't currently follow them, um, I know they're on twitter but i i mostly follow her work on instagram mm, i'm gonna follow yes and the handle is i heart and it's h-a-r-t erica e-r-i-c-k-a and one of the posts that they posted uh this week says get your pride coin ready a thread 
Black LGBTQIA plus people have our own businesses, organizations, nonprofits, etc. that need monetary support year round much more than the retail company where you just bought that rainbow shirt. If you are a black LGBTQIA plus person, whether you have a business or not, put your cash app, Venmo, PayPal information below so folks can spend their money directly supporting those responsible for the creative trends and ideas that get co-opted by those profiting off of us anyway. Snap, snap, snap. Let this serve as an imperative and a directory all year long. Happy 365 days of pride. And so... Um, it is a very long thread of people who you could directly support. Mm. There's currently 1,518 comments on there. Oh my gosh. So it was just so beautiful and such a, a great reminder that um, money can also heal. And so, like, the money that I spend this month, I want to be intentional about supporting, especially black queer folks. Um, I think it's really important for me that I do that so um, if you need ideas and you want to do that as well I definitely encourage you to go to Erica's uh, Instagram account and find that thread and you'll be able to find people but like, I know a lot of personal people that I can give to um, so I'll be doing that uh, thanks but, for sharing yeah. that resource that's awesome yes of course and I will share a final resource that is more um, kind of laid back if you want to binge on something that's pride-ish um, I just finished watching the first season of Pose, um, which is an FX show, but it's on Netflix right now. Mm-hmm. And it tells the story of like late 80s, early 90s ballroom culture in New York City. And it is amazing. It centers the stories of, you know, the most affected by um homophobia racism and how they created a community and a culture that like you said has been co-opted and um exploited but it it just is is amazing and um i definitely suggest it as a little like pride month um binge thank so, you i'm definitely gonna I, i've been it's, so good. it's been on my list for Holy a minute shit. so i'll have it's to check so it out good. <laughs> well that's all the time that we have today Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sana Sana Podcast, written and co-hosted by Adriana and Adriana. Our theme song is by Alina Celeste. Our cover art features a photograph by Tanto Jensen. Join the conversation. Follow Sana Sana on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Sana Sana Podcast. Send us love letters to sanasanapodcast at gmail.com. The puppies you hear in the background, that's Tita and Cordelia. And we love them. Sana Sana is a Despierta production and is recorded at Full Circle Collective in Bridgeport Art Center in Chicago, Illinois. To learn more about Full Circle, visit fullcirclecollective.net. Bye! Bye! Sana mañana! Sana mañana!